We'll start in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I do not... This is the tongue twister passage in the Bible, so work with me. For I, what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate what I do. Why did you have me read this? And if I do what I no longer, what no longer I myself who... I missed the line completely. We have a new baby at home. Yeah. We'll start in verse 16. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, that's my son. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. I went to the center for kids who can't read good school. Uh, if you pray with me, and then I want to introduce you to my friend Blake. So pray with me, and then Blake will come up. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the briskness. Thank you for the change in season. Father, thank you for a place where we can come and worship and remember uh, who we are, who you are, and how we relate. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you gave to us. Uh, Father, would you tune our, our ears to your spirit? Maybe be attentive to what you are teaching us through Blake, uh, and may we walk away changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you remember my friend Blake. He is the area director for Young Life uh, in northwest Seattle. You don't have to stand over there like a creep. You can come on over. Uh, Blake, is uh, he runs the uh, wildlife and young life that meet downstairs. How many of you were at the annual meeting and we heard the ruckus? This guy. And so I'm, I'm stoked that he's here. I'm going to be sitting in the back next to my wife and child, listening along with you guys. So without, you want this mic? Yeah, please. We should cheer for that one more time. Wife and child are here. Carrie and Caleb are here in the back. They're there. That's awesome. Well done. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to fill in for Brad. I thought I would try to make the transition smooth by growing a beard like his, but I ran out of time. So this is all that I have. Um, I would like to uh, start, though, this morning, just to shift gears. This is off script. But if we could take a minute and pray for our brothers and sisters in California, I'd like to pray for them. If you're not aware of what's happening down there, there are wildfires tearing through almost the entire state. And um, homes, buildings, full neighborhoods and towns are in ashes, and people are dying. So let's pray for them this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And God, we are pleading on behalf of our brothers and sisters and friends and even family in California that you would rescue them. Lord, that you would just send whatever is needed, that that fire would be snuffed out and that people would be safe in Jesus' name. And God, that you would comfort those who are in the middle of loss and that you would provide all the resources that they need to recover well. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, yeah, so like I said, that's a little off script, but I would just give you the encouragement. If you can give of your time or your talents or your treasures, please do that for the aid down in California. But most of all, we should be a group of people that pray. And I, so there I am right at the beginning of a sermon shooting on you. <laughs> we should pray, but I just 
feel really convicted that we have that message in our church. Um, it's, it's fun to be here, to be a part of the Bethany Ballard community, to be someone who's attending here with my family and enjoying this and to fill in for Brad. But it was funny because he's like, hey, you can teach on this Sunday. I said, great, I'm available. It's Romans 7. And although I've read the Bible, I don't know what every chapter is about. So I go back and I read it again after I've said yes to Brad. And it's all about sin. Like we just read that passage one to kind of, maybe I had you read that passage to get back at you a little bit. Be like, yeah, try, try this tongue twister. Because like the whole passage is about sin. And I'm like, I get it, right? Why do we come to church? Because we like to talk about sin in our lives, right? That's what you tell your friends. How's your church? Good. Talked about sin. It was awesome. No, not quite. Please pick up on these subtle tones of sarcasm. We don't really love to talk about this. And just in those four verses, we mentioned sin five or six times. But the, um, if you've been here the last couple weeks as we've been going through the series in Romans, you've learned that it's a complex book, right? Everybody kind of emphasizes that. I would argue that chapter 7 is not super complex. As a matter of fact, in your bulletin, you've got some notes and outline there, which is helpful for all of us, even me, because I'll know when we're done um, or when I should be done. But the first point is, what is really the problem? Let me just get this statement. In the chapter 7 of Romans Paul is making a claim almost, or a statement, that the problem with the church is not the law. The problem is me. That we are the problem. That we, as people, that is the issue. That he starts in the beginning of Romans 7. I'm going to kind of give you a little quick overview of what the whole whole chapter is about, and then we'll go back and kind of study it a little bit together. That he talks about, he begins with kind of a comparison. And if you read the chapter, it talks about a wife being kind of uh, a part of her husband's property. Let's not get caught up in an argument about whether or not that's culturally relevant today. He's simply just making an illustration. Saying you belonged at one point to the law, and then Christ died for you, and now you belong completely to him. But there's this battle that happens. There's this discrepancy in our life, in who we are, the discrepancy between what we desire and what our abilities allow us to do. The problem is not the law, he says. The problem is me. And that's a pretty bold claim, and that's the best way to to communicate that, right? I would actually tell you that the reason I began to slowly get excited about teaching this passage of Scripture is because, guess what? I'm an expert in sin. (laughs) And maybe that's my confession, or maybe that's my lament with you today, but I'm an expert in sin. I've done it. And as a matter of fact, I've done it well. And I know that because of my understanding of sin in my life, that makes my need and my appropriation for our Savior all the greater. So I hope that the simplicity of the message today is simply that, yes, sin exists, and yes, we don't talk about it a lot because it's a little bit messy, and we like here, and especially in Western culture, to talk about things at church to make us feel good and ready for the week, like Monday, because we talked about Jesus, right? But it's like, you have to know that the deep brokenness in our lives leads us to a place of worship. And so that's kind of the thesis of this whole statement. And what I mean by that people are the problem and the reason I get excited about that is this. When we study, um, so Brad said I'm on the Young Life staff, but I am an ordained minister, which means I can marry, bury, and baptize anybody in the room. And when you become a minister, you go through seminary. We take a classes, all sorts of seminary uh, stuff that we go through, and one of them is called apologetics. And I get signed up for this class, and I'll tell you, apologetics is, and I've got some notes here at, at what it really is. It is a, it's reasoned arguments or writings in justification of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. Okay, that's what apologetics is, right? Basically, we're, we're creating not necessarily a defense, but the 
strategic, almost analytical preparation for how to defend what we're doing. So defend, don't get caught in that word. We're not necessarily defeating people who are not believing what we're talking about. We're simply just saying that I have more in my belief of my faith than just, well, I believe it because. Like we have apologetics just to say I've studied this, I've researched this, I have kind of an understanding of why I believe what I believe. I'm bringing up apologetics for this reason. When I get signed up for the class, I get all excited. I'm like, apologetics, it's about time we apologized. Like, that's what I thought the class was. I'm thinking, great, it's a whole class on apologizing. Like, like remember the Crusades, like hundreds of years ago, where we slaughtered thousands of people in the name of the church? I'm sorry about that. Like, I have this deep sense of regret because of that in the church. And remember slavery in our country? When the church didn't really do anything about it? Sorry about that, too. And remember Christians in Florida who made hateful signs and went to the LBGTQ community? I'm so sorry about that, too. I have this deep sense of wanting to apologize, not for the church or the law, but for people. And I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry for the hurt that I've caused and the pain that I've left behind. Because as Paul talks about in this chapter, I have this deep desire to do good, to do what is good, to do what is right, to believe that Christ in me is the hope of glory. But guess what? Sin rears its mighty head. Sin in me, my brokenness. So what is the problem? Why chapter 7? The problem is people. Verse 4, or actually I want to look first at Matthew. Matthew 12, 33 to 34. The problem here for people isn't necessarily for every person at the moment. Paul is teaching to people who have at one point said yes to Jesus. A people like us, potentially, in this room who have said, I'm going to church today because I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. I've confessed my need for him and I believe that he is the risen Savior. When people have entered into that, they have basically said that I want to have good fruit in my life. Right here, Matthew 22, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, you, how can you, pardon me, who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We want to be people who are full of good fruit. Amen? There you go. You can do that today. Let's take a little pause. I just want you to know, you can amen, you can mm-hmm, anything you want to do. Let's me know that you're awake and that you're a part of this, right? Because this is more of a conversation, really, for a lot of us. Like I said, I have become an expert in sin, but I have a deep desire to have the Spirit of God alive in me. So in verse 4, the next piece of Scripture here we'll look at together, Verse 4 says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. This is kind of the thesis statement for this whole chapter that Paul's making. That he's saying that you and I, we have died to the law, not because the law is bad, not because we're against the law, but because we are no longer bound to the law, we are bound to Christ alive in us. And we do that, why? Because we want the living God to produce good fruit in us. This is a good thing. This is the statement of truth. But he makes this claim because this is why it's a problem. I also want to give you a little lesson here in chapter 7. When he's talking about the law, 
He's not talking about like governmental law or legal law. He's talking about the spiritual law of doing what is good. The spiritual law that was given to us by God, the commandments. And they are more than just a moral compass for good behavior. They are what God has given us so that we know how to gauge what good fruit is. We know what good fruit is because we're people who, guess what? <laughs> Truth be told, I'm going to give you a little secret. You're not Jesus, right? You don't know and you're not privileged, neither am I, to know the fullness and the completeness of who God is. That's part of the mystery of him alive in us. So we want to say, all right, if I can't fully understand, if I can't grasp, Philippians says, the, the, the majesty of Jesus not to be grasped, grasped completely by us, I still want to know, am I on the right track? Am I going the right direction here? Is Jesus alive in me, something that I can understand. Yes, here are commandments, here are laws for you to understand. The law was intended to give us life. The law was intended to say this is for you to live holy and blameless and true lives. But oh, Paul laments. But here is sin, alive in me again. Paul says in chapter 7 here that it springs to life, sin does, because of the law. Dangerous stuff to admit and to confess. It's a really, really difficult thing. But what does it mean? What does it mean? What is he trying to say that the problem is? The problem is this, that he is trying to communicate to the readers of Romans 7 that he is guilty of being a manager of sin as opposed to letting the Spirit of God be alive in him. I'll tell you that again. He's guilty of being a manager of sin as opposed to letting the Spirit of God be alive in him. Here's a simple illustration. It's like getting up in the morning and making one of two statements today. It's a beautiful day today, and I'm going to make the most of it. One statement versus, oh, wow, it's not raining. Maybe I'll take a rain jacket with me today just in case it rains, because it rains a lot here. Is it a bad idea to take a rain jacket with you? For the sake of this poor illustration, that would be kind of the the illustration of the law, right? I'm abiding by some sort of standard that says, take a rain jacket. It is the Pacific Northwest, not a bad idea. No, it's not wrong to take a rain jacket with you, but you're missing the opportunity to feel the fullness of a beautiful sunny day. The Spirit of God alive in us says, good morning, it's sunny, it's beautiful, I'm ready to take on the day. Abiding by the law and being a sin manager says, yes, but how do I still stick with the principles of my life and focus on them? We don't need to be sin managers anymore. We need to be people who are letting the Spirit of God be alive in us. And the problem, thank you, amen. Rob's here. And the problem is that we don't recognize this until it's too late. But point number two in your bulletin there is the question, is this a confession, a lament, a statement, or a plea for help? Yes. <laughs> yes. Is it a confession? Maybe it's a confession. Maybe it's a confession. Maybe he's simply just airing out his dirty laundry and saying, this is so hard for me, and he's grabbing people's attention. It is a confession, or maybe it's repentance also. And to understand the difference, confession is just simply saying, I am wrong, or I did something wrong. I confess that I did this. Repentance is, this is wrong what I've done, and I'm going a different direction. You understand? Not if you understand, right? This is repentance. So confession leads to repentance, and repentance leads to a whole life of Christ in us. Because we can say, I'm leaving this sinful life behind me, and I'm moving in the direction of the Spirit alive in who I am. So he might be confessing, he might be repenting, but it's even more. We can turn away from sin, 
But in verse 14 to 20, what Brad read, and it's up here one more time, he rants on and on in this confession. All these things he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Meaning we know that the law was given by God, but we know that I'm still a broken person. Sold as a slave to sin. And I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do, not what to do, I agree that the law is good. Right? It's a tongue twister. But do you know what he's saying? It's like, if I do what I want to do, if I'm not doing evil, then I'm making the claim that the law is good. Right? Mm, It's even more than that. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Let me pause and tell you that we kind of have this um, kind of this notion in the Christian community where when we repent sometimes, just simply because we've said no to sin and we've said yes to Jesus, that now that sin is completely behind us. That is gone from our lives. Let me clarify. It's been erased by the blood of our Savior. But sin has power. And if we don't recognize the power of sin alive in us and around us, then how will we fight against it? John 10.10, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy you. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Another passage from scripture that we often like to say the second part of. Jesus Christ, come to give you life and life to the full. Praise the Lord, amen. And I hang my hat on that truth every day. But what about the beginning? Pay attention. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. He claims the power of sin. We proclaim Christ's defeat over sin. But we have to pay attention to its power that still remains. Because I've had conversations with young men who are like, listen, I repented from this sin in my life. Why does it keep coming back? Because we are not God. He is alive in us. We recognize the law to be good. But oh, who will help us for the sin that comes storming back? Who will help us? Is it, a lament? is it a confession? Is it repentance? Yes. Is it a lament? Yes. Let's go to Psalms 51. Psalms 51, we have part of it um, up on the screen, but there's another part too that I want to read to you. This is, whoop, I had it in my notes. There it is. Psalm 51, verses 10 and 11. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Friends, it is a lament that Paul has. A lament that cries out to God in desperation and in need, knowing that his identity is in Christ, but every present power of sin continues to work against him. Verse 21 to 25 in Romans 7 Verse 21 to 25 is right here. He says, um, oh yeah, there's the Psalms one. Isn't it great? Look at that. Read the Psalms when you're lamenting. But here it is, the next one, um, Romans 7, 21 to 25. So I find this law at work. Although I do not do good things, evil is right here with me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, 
waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work. Making me a prisoner, a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. This is his lament. This is his confession. This is his repentance. This is his plea for help. This is the posture of humility. Who will help me? Who will help me? His response to who will help me? Thanks be to the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who will help me? Thank you, Lord. Who will help me? Thank you, Jesus. Who will help me? Thank you, Jesus. That's an odd formula. Because when we ask the question, who will help me? I want an answer. Like, I want a formulated process. Like, what's point one, two, and three that you've got prepared to help me, if that's what I'm asking you, right? Or like, my tire just went flat on my car. I'm stuck at this intersection. Where are you? What time will you arrive? Do you have the tools I need to get done? Like, I want that process. Why? Because I'm, I'm who I am. Paul says, no, my response for this cry out of plea, this, or this crying out, this plea for help, is thanks be to God. An attitude of thankfulness. If you're at a point in your life right now where you wake up and you're having a hard time getting through the day, maybe things are difficult for you, maybe you're distracted by pain from your past, maybe you're experiencing anxiety about the future, I would encourage you to do this. As soon as you come to in the morning, when you wake up, that you would say Jesus' name and then say three things that you're thankful for. I'm telling you that not because it's just a clever idea, but because it's actually made a difference in my life. When I wake up and the first thing out of my mouth is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thanks today for coffee, for clean socks, and for a wife who loves me when she has lots of reasons not to. You know what I mean? Like, this is awesome. What a great way to start your day. Lord God, I am a sinner, Paul says, and I have all these things that I want to do. I've been distracted by the law. I've tried to adhere to the law, and then I realize that it should be Christ in me. But when I have have Christ in me, here comes sin again. What do I do? Who will help me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Psalms 15, 13 to 17 was just up there a minute ago, too. We'll look at it one more time. Psalms 51, 13 to 17. Then I will teach the transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, O Lord. And here comes the good part. And my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is what? A broken spirit. My sacrifice to you, God, is a broken spirit. It is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Here's the lesson for today's passage from Scripture. Our brokenness leads us to worship. This is, this, like I said, and I'm kind of emphasize this. This is a paradigm shift for the way that we want to think about life. 
We want transactions. We want to adhere to the law because it gives us an understanding that we're doing well. But what the message from Paul is, it's Christ alive in you. It's Christ alive in you. That's what we're going for. This brokenness, this idea that sin rears its ugly head, this idea that sin still creeps in, it demonstrates the truth that we are broken people. What's wrong with the law? Nothing. We're what's wrong with the law. Oh, Lord, help us, please. We go to worship. And here's the good news, friends. That's where you get met by God's love. And it's not like God just decides out of pity or out of just being a polite guy that he's like, sure, I'll stoop down to your brokenness and meet you there. No, this is where he wants to meet us. This sense of humility, this sense of deep need. And like I said at the beginning, I'm an expert in sin. And I can say that because I know that that's where God has met me. And I know that when I go there and remember that truth, that he meets me there every time. That this is the idea that we have a deep need, that we have this sort of appropriation for God in our lives. And when we go to worship and we say, here I am, the broken sinner that needs a savior, that's where he meets us. Like the psalmist writes, I don't have an offering for you. I have a broken spirit for you. I have a contrite heart. I have these things that I need. Lord, maybe I want them to be repaired, but mostly I just want you to have them. And that's where he meets us. And the good news is that he wants that more than anything. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23 says this. Jesus says to a group of people, Many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles and in your name join a small group and in your name go to church on Sundays and in your name go to the homeless shelter and feed food. Did we not do all these things? And then Jesus says, I will tell them plainly and simply, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. Is it wrong? Is it wrong to prophesy in Jesus' name? Is it wrong to cast out demons? Is it wrong to join a small group and go serve the homeless? No. But do you know him? Do you know him? Do people in your life know that something's different about you because of Christ in you, the hope of glory? Are you hung up on the law or are you stoked about the idea of Jesus being ever present in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood because of his love in you? I did all these things, Lord, because that's the law and that's what you said. Yes, but I didn't even know you, he says. Who will help us? Thank you, Lord. I'll finish with this uh, little story or this poem. It's actually from a... um, Uh, It's an old Cherokee proverb, really, is what it is. And it says this, A Cherokee grandfather was teaching his grandson about life. He says to his, his grandson, A fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies false pride and superiority and ego. And he says, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And the same fight, grandson, is going on inside of you 
and inside of everyone. The grandson thought for about it, thought about it for a minute, and then asked his grandfather, "Which wolf we will win?" The old Cherokee simply replied, "The one that you feed." I read you that story because it's not simply just good or evil wolves that are fighting, but like we said at the beginning, this discrepancy between what we desire, what we hope for, and what we have the ability to do. Will we feed this idea of Jesus alive in us, this going to worship because of our brokenness? Or will we feed more of the law and the simplicity of being hung up on those things? We're going to invite Tim to come back up and uh, we're going to finish with some worship. And this is it. This is worship. Worship today, right now, is a song with people that maybe you know that you're standing next to, maybe people that you don't, but it's worship. Worship will also be available to you later today and tomorrow and throughout the entire week. Worship can be singing. It can be your vocation. It can be your attitude. It can be going for a run or a walk. It can be creating something or making food. It will be a place where you will say to yourself, in my sense of brokenness, in the truth that sin rears its head in my life, who will help me? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.